This is the 1984 Flyer Die Podcast. Someone who I look at as a big brother, because early on when I was doing like doing my photography thing in the city, he saw something good in me, and he always threw lobs my way, even to the point of allowing me to tag along with him whenever he traveled to New York, and I met great people because of this guy here. Um, I had great experiences, and he's someone that I always look to for inspiration because he he knows his shit. He knows his shit. When it comes to music, when it comes to the culture, he always has an interesting perspective on it, and he is truly the nostalgia king, not only of Philadelphia, but in just the game overall. So I want to do... Uh, Something new here today. I want to get a, you know, uh, the old school, whoop, 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 Arsenio Hall style. <laughs> my main man, DJ Scheme Richards. What up, what up, what up, world? <laughs> In the place to be, Nostalgia King, Scheme Richards. Yes. Live from the 215, Philly's finest, your royal highness. Oh, yes. That's what I do. Yes. And he came in here and he brought me a gift. He brought me a Christmas gift that he and his lovely girlfriend Leah, right, got me um, two, for like two years ago. Yep. And the book is called No Sleep. Uh, it's a book about um, New York City nightlife flyers from 1988 to 1999. And yo, let me tell you something, man. The, the gems in this book are just phenomenal. Like the fonts that I'm seeing for like. Shows for Wu-Tang, Jungle Brothers, Chop Call Quest, like Diddy's first annual Christmas party. Yeah. Designed by the artists who did like tons of like the Source cartoons in the back. If you were old enough to read the Source and you know the cartoons in the back, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right, right. You know, so um, this is one of, the, one of the reasons why I say this guy knows stuff because, come on, like who else would know? That this is the thing to get. You That's know? right. Rule number one, never show up to a house empty-handed. Always bear gifts, you know. <laughs> uh, I learned that lesson just now because I'm usually just cheap. Like, like what you bring to the house? Me. Me, you know myself. I got, I, got, I got better than this, man. So there's different um, avenues I want to travel down. Um, first, I want to say that before we started this podcast, I saw Black Panther. And Black Panther to me was the shit of of a movie. And but I'm not gonna give anyone any spoilers because it's not the kind of person that I am. But we are on the topic of movies that came from comic books. 
And I know for a fact that my man Scheme here yeah. is a fan of the OG comic books. Yes, definitely. Now, who are some of your favorite comic book artists back in the day? Um, for me, number one comic artist all time, John Byrne. Now, he's he's the greatest of all time for me in my era. But the king of it all who started it all was Jack the King Kirby. You know what I'm saying? So technically, he is the greatest of all time. But for, for my era of actually reading comic books and understanding and understanding the artists, it's definitely John Byrne. John Byrne was influential for doing the X-Men comics. Um, thought like around the like nineties and and one hundred era of like you know the Dark Phoenix saga, um, Hellfire Club, all that like that era. Like you know John Byrne was the man that eighties era. So um, definitely Byrne. Byrne's my 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 number one. He's definitely my number one. He also did Superman when for DC Comics, um, or the Man of Steel comics he did for DC Comics. So for me. John Byrne, but the the overall god of gods, Jack the King Kirby. It's Jack Kirby is truly a legend. Like he influenced so many different styles. Yeah. Like a friend of mine said that James Brown's face looked like it could have been designed by Jack Kirby. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is the way this this attention to detail, like the, the lines, like he was like it's just amazing to see how like how far his influence has, has gone into it. You know what I mean? Even surpassed yeah. his life, his whole lifetime. Right, exactly. I mean, even if you look at the like New York graffiti writers in the 70s, 80s, when they was bombing trains, all a lot of that influence came from Jack Kirby. When they were bombing trains and they were doing pieces and you would see like a silver surfer on it, Jack Kirby influence. When you see like all of the like um like the like Doctor Strange and all of them, and you see you see like the stars and all of the the crazy psychedelic colors and psychedelic prints and stuff like that on the trains. That was all Jack Kirby influence. You know what I'm saying? Like Lee Quinones, um, Doctor Revolt, like like all those dudes, like that straight Jack Kirby influence. So yeah. Now, quick segue. Didn't I meet Doctor Revolt with you? Yeah, yeah, we met Revolt at. Um, what gallery was that? It was a gallery well, second and market. Second right? and market. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because that's actually the th- second, third time that I ran into Revolt. The first time was at the Wild Style reunion when Charlie Ahern and Revolt and um Lil Rodney C and them did the whole gallery at Union Gallery 237, and they were there. And that was the first time I met Doctor Revolt. And then when we went to the gallery. He was there that night. So, you know, yeah, Revolt's the man. That's OG right there. And for those who don't know, um, you can talk about the culture of hip hop and the culture of, of graph writing. Wild Style is an essential movie that you should go see. If you haven't seen it yet, look it up. Get in your DVD collection, you know. Yeah, that's the one. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. See a clip, like, check that out. That's the one. Funny you mentioned Hellfire Club and um, Dark Phoenix Saga. It's actually going to be the next X movie come out this summer. Well, it's crazy because what was it? Um, X Men um, First Class mm-hmm. was Hellfire Club. Yes. And for me, they did that right because it was set in a time period. Yes. 
You know, like I don't like com- I don't like comic movies when they do it and it's like, yo, this isn't like they're doing it in a present day. If it's not a present day story, mm-hmm. don't do it in a present day. That's why I love like Wonder Woman. It was done in that era, that that World War One era, because that's where Wonder Woman comes from. So when I saw the X Men First Class, it was like, yo, y'all took it back to like the swinging sixties and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, because that's the era it's supposed to be in. You know, so yeah, that's yeah. And the same with um. The first Captain America was set during World War Two, right? Which, to me, just keep it in that era, because that was the raw era when we were fighting like the Nazis and stuff like that. That was the raw era. Those are my favorite Captain America comics. Was that World War Two era? And I think that's why some of my favorite cartoons, period, even though they had like the wild races like moments in it, right? Right. You know, in terms of like the Looney Tunes, even Tom and Jerry, the Looney Tunes. Like, they were so, like, patriotic during World War Two. Yeah. You know, you had Bugs marching in, you know, his uniforms. And yeah. Jeffrey Duck. But, like, I, I liked that era because it captured the time. Yeah. Really well. It was, like, like it was just visual time capsule yep. that we had in front of us. And going down towards following the line, I think even seeing, like, mentioning Black Panther, like, seeing, like, the first appearances of, like, black superheroes then, too. Mm-hmm. It shows like a reflection of the time when they were in. Exactly. Like you had, like the hip and fly. Like the first when, when the Falcon first came on the scene. Right. People don't know that the Falcon has had many incarnations throughout time. Yep. You know, like still being from New York. Right. But in some instances, he came out as like a preacher's son. You know, right. Or he was like he was like a pimp in one in one era that just changed his life around became the Falcon. Right. And keep in mind, he was in the Captain America World War Two comics too. So, you know, he's been around. He's been around. And like him, that's one of the earliest ones. I mean, of course, Luke Cage. Everybody knows Luke Cage. But like, I feel like people got hip to Luke Cage later. You know what I'm saying? Like they got hip with like the Netflix series. But I'm like, was y'all really following Luke Cage when it was Power Man and Iron Fist Luke Cage? Yeah, that, uh, that metal like we, crown thing. Was yeah. Kind of like a tiara, but not. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He had that. That yellow, uh, the yellow, shirt, <laughs> bottoms, you know what I'm saying? yeah, that was the best era because it captured the times. It captured like you, you know, cats was rocking afros. The slang in the comics was like slang of the '70s. It was proper slang. Like now, there's no slang in comic books. Like people are kind of talking, right? I don't want to say normal, but they're kind of talking like normal. But all those 70s comic books, you heard like people say, you know, like, oh man, this dude's jive or so and so. It was like a real reflection of the time. Now. There's really no slang that you can put in comic books that's like hip or cool. Wow. Like when you really think about it, there's no, there's there's really no slang. Like no one's, everyone said jive. Everyone said, you know, whatever with the slang, but not everyone says lit. Not everyone. That's like a small demographic. Or people saying join. You're not going to see that in comics. Or join. You're not going to see that in comics. You know, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a lot lacking right now. That's that would have been so relevant in seventies comics, you know. So now we're on the subject of, of nostalgia. What makes you the nostalgia king? Um just my passion and love of eras that were so great in one way, might have been fucked up in another way, but eras that were so great, eras that were influential to the future you know what i'm saying like the the 60s was so influential 
to fashion very fly fashion like if you look at in 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 europe if you look in london the illest suits in the 60s british suits british tailor-made suits like look at every british movie and look how fly they look look how fly the men look look how fly the women look suits was proper you know what i'm saying fast forward to 70s the black exploitation era pimps everyone was fly you know what i'm saying you come up to the 80s yeah hip-hop got really fly 90s is when it started going downhill and started people started getting bummy that was the timberland era that was the fatigue era that baggy was the jeans. baggy jean eras and it kind of got bummy you know fast forward till now still kind of bummy you know except for now it's like high-end bummy you know cats cats wear cats will mix and match a bunch of different shit but it's like eh yeah but them colors is whack oversized sweatshirts with holes in them yeah see so my love of, of nostalgia is like those eras that were so influential, you know, and it was something just really dope about it. But also I'm about future nostalgia, you know, because I believe in like creating joints now for next year, you know, what I'm saying or 20 years from down the line. Like this podcast right now, like this will be something that cats will be like, yo, I need to go dig up on it. Just like a mixtape. You heard a 90s mixtape. Mm-hmm. Cats still have that mixtape in a collection. You know, cats now is like, yo, I need to go back and hear that because dude was an ill DJ, so I need to go back and hear that. Cats will be talking about like, yo, I need to go back and hear this 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 podcast that you was doing. So it's kind of like how we are with uh, the Stretch and Bobito shows. Exactly. In 95, 94. You know, exactly. Oh, man, Big L freestyle. Right. Like, one of the most legendary freestyles they ever had is on Stretch and Bobito. Right. So you have to go back through the tapes once you got. And there it is. Exactly. And that's the thing. See, I don't think people really even we're living in so much in a moment right now where people are just they're just living, mm-hmm. but they ain't really soaking it and taking it all in. You know, like I, I remember all that shit when it'd be like, yo, the first time I heard so and so with so and so or the first time I heard the song, I was, I was in this club or, you know, people now. I don't really think they take it in and be like the first time I heard this song because things is happening so quick mm-hmm. and everybody's like, I heard this song today, but. In five years, they're not going to be like, oh, the first time I heard that song was at this club. So-and-so was DJing. I remember I was rocking these sneakers. And, you know, it's just like cats don't, it, cats don't operate like that no more. It's too much. It's too much that everybody's social media, you know, day-to-day, whatever, headlines, you know, so-and-so got locked up. You know, all this, this nonsense that's going on. All happened in one time. Yeah. And I think that's the reason why, like, our brains are really just like, so distracted by life. Yeah. That we don't know what's going on because I'm going to tell you, like I, there are albums from my childhood that I can tell you where I was mm-hmm. when I first heard them. Mm-hmm. What I was doing, the season, like, I first, for, for example, I was, uh, whenever I walk downtown in the city, I feel the need to play like a Tribe Called Quest's first album. Mm-hmm. And Yellow Soul's second album, because it reminds me of being in that time period. You yep. know what I'm saying? Yep. Like being like in a pop backseat of my pop's car, riding around town. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Because that, that gave me that vibe. That gave me that memory of being in that area of town Yep. 25 years ago. Or in this case, 27 years ago. You right. Know? So like there are certain things like, or when Jay Z's um, Blueprint album dropped, in the same day a Fabulous Ghetto, Ghetto Fabulous album dropped, but that day was more significant because that was nine eleven. 
Yeah. And I remember like, going home from school and watch. I remember seeing the planes hit the building on TV. I remember going home early because of that. You know, we're like, yeah, half a day. You know, not right. really. We, we being like teenagers, we're not really knowing the ramifications about what just happened. Right. We like, we got home, home from school early. Boom. And the albums was right there. Yeah. You know, so like I can tell you like that was the time. And I think nostalgia is important because it allows us to have a connection to things that bring us back to our core. Right. Even if it's in a bygone era and people say, yeah, things are changing. You still need to have links to the past Mm -hmm. so you can find yourself. Yeah. I mean, because like I can't tell you the last person, like if you ask me tomorrow, who dropped the album last year or two years ago or three years ago on this very day, I couldn't tell you. Nope. Couldn't tell you. Nothing significant happened. Yeah, it was a dope album. I don't remember what day it happened. Why? Because I didn't go to the store and pick it up. It wasn't like a journey. I didn't go after school and then go downtown and then like go buy this. And I remember that day for lunch, I had this. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, it doesn't work like that anymore. You know, and people, people aren't, um, People aren't aren't like soaking it in and appreciating it because you're downloading it. You know, you're like if I read a blog, little so and so dropped the mixtape today. Young so and so dropped the mixtape today, and it'll be like five of them dropped the mixtape the same damn day. What do you listen to? What do you choose from? After tomorrow, you're not going to care about any of them. There's no value in none of that stuff. It's none of it. I remember I, I got into an argument on, on Twitter, of course, on Twitter, right? Of course. <laughs> um, a few years ago, because I remember like the artist Joe Budden was dropping um, his Mute Music 4 mixtape. Mm-hmm. And I remember I said people were going crazy about it. One week had passed. Mm-hmm. And I said, yo, what happened to the buzz? Right. Yo, so hyped about this album. Mixtape came out. Yep. I'm sure it's high quality music or whatever because you guys love the, love the album. You love Joe Budden. Mm-hmm. But where's the talk about it? And somebody got mad. Come on, man. How you going to say that? Why can't we just enjoy music? I said, dude, said, I'm not even dissing anybody and dissing the music. I'm just saying in terms of how albums are, when Blueprint dropped, I remember we were talking about it on school buses. We were talking about it amongst our friends a week or so later. And when we heard um, Stillmatic, when Nas had dissed Jay-Z, we were, like, talking about that diss for weeks ahead, you know? Like, I hadn't heard anybody talk about a song or a diss song to an extent since, like, Drake did Back to Back. But that was mostly because it was a Philly thing going against Meek Mill. Right. And who Drake was at the time made it more of an impact because, right. boom, diss track. But, like, we, in terms of what we digest, we take things in and we absorb it and you're throwing it at the wayside. Yeah. You get it. Because that's like... Um, no one's no one's shitting it out anymore. They're they're digesting it and they're throwing it the fuck back up. Right. And they're forgetting about it. Absolutely right. No one's digesting it. It's not like getting getting you fat off of off of what you just heard. Like people are just like taking it in, mm-hmm. throwing it up. Exactly. Like it has no... None of the stuff that's coming out has replay value. No. It's like it's a week. If it's a week that it's got a buzz, that's a long time. Because right now things don't even have a buzz for a week. Not at all. Not at all. And like, I look around, even in terms of TV. Like, I love Netflix. Mm-hmm. Right? But the problem with Netflix is that, well, the shows 
binging mm-hmm. shows mm-hmm. versus you just trying to get movie. it over, <laughs> right? Because you, you you view these shows as if it's one long movie. Yep. Versus how TV was, it's like an episode happens every week, and you had to wait. Yeah, you had to wait because now, like, there's times I've I've digested like an entire series. Like, yo, I killed it in one day. It was great. And I, I have no need to go back and watch it again because I already watched it already. Yep. There's nothing new for me to, to discover from a show that I already watched from episode one all the way through to episode 12. Yeah. So, like you said, we aren't as... We're spoiled. Yeah. We've been too spoiled to the point where we're just... We've, we've become complacent. We, we expect to have everything instant. And that's a bad thing. It is a bad thing. And I want to use that now to go into the culture. Now, I invited Scheme on this podcast because there was something on my mind that I wanted to discuss. And I wanted to discuss Philly Nightlife. And everything we discussed beforehand about nostalgia, about things being like not being as they were before fits in perfectly with, with this segue. So Scheme has been DJing since the early 80s. 81. 81. Um, he is from the, I want to say the Winfield part of Philadelphia. No, is that is that Philadelphia? I'm, I'm Winfield, yeah. It's a, it's a section of it, right? It's, it's, yeah, but you know, we always looked at like, yo, we from a different part of Philly. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I kind of do that. Like, you guys, yeah. like, there's a line where it's like, you go past Bus Philly, there's Overbrook, there's Winfield. Yeah. It's, it's over there. But, you know, he um DJ since 81. Um, he has seen various changes in the city of Philadelphia in terms of the DJ culture, in terms of the party culture. And, you know, we going from guys who went from carrying crates of records to now people are just carrying one hard drive around. Mm-hmm. And the op- a funny part is this, though you guys had to carry so much with your records, you were more secure with those versus you having a drive now. If that drive is corrupt, oh, shit. You're screwed. You're screwed. You know, people are carrying backups and backups and backups. But when you just had records, you just had, you might have had to carry so much shit, you're breaking your back. But you still had records there on, it was yep. there. There was no crashing. There was no crash. You, you, you had the files you have on these drives, you had the actual files as 12 inches, 45s in your hands. Right. And let me tell you this, before we get on to what the main focus of this podcast is. Yes. You had that one guy, was it was it Mark the 45 King? Right. Scheme is the 45 King. Because when, for me, the only cat who I knew who was spinning 45s that I knew of, right? Not, not discounting anybody else. You know, shout out to um, to Otto and Supreme LaRock over in um, Seattle. Seattle. in Minneapolis, yep. Minneapolis. You know, shout out to those other guys, um, you know, um, Butter Brothers and, you know, the whole movement. The first person that I knew to spend 45s and solely 45s at parties was Scheme. Yeah. That's who I knew to do it, and that's how I became a fan of 45s. That's the reason why I started collecting them. I have them in my closet right now. But, like, he opened that world to me, you know? So props to you on that because you were bringing, like, in a way that is also being a nostalgic king. You're bringing, like, articles from 
the past right into the part into the future and you still rocking the party with these joints yeah you know and when it comes to being a dj i first thing that i know first rule that i knew about it was that you had to rock the party you had to rock the party plain and simple plain and simple so when we came to rocking the party in the early days Mm -hmm. right well for you i want to say in the early 80s what was that experience like well, you know, during that time when I was young, all right, so I started DJing in 81, got my first set of turntables in 82. It was, during that time, that was, I was 11. So for me, it was just like, we was just doing battles because that's what it was about. It was about battles. We were still too young to be going to parties. You know, like, it wasn't until 84, yeah, like 84, 85, 84, that I was going to like house parties like that. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it was all about playing the joints. It was about all, all about playing the R&B joints, the the, the disco joints. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't really a lot of rap records at that time. There was rap records, but it wasn't like a, uh, like an abundance like it is now, rap records. So you were just playing stuff all across the board, mainly like a lot of R&B, a lot of disco, um, dance classics. You know, the, the rap records that was out during that time. Um, but it was about the party. You know, and it was about guys and it was about girls and everybody was dancing. It was no standing around. It was like it was the one dude or the one girl that was standing around because they can't dance. But everybody else was at the party, you know, so that feeling right there, that was excitement. That was like, you know, you being able to go out to the movies by yourself for the first time, you know, or you getting a driver's license and being able to drive by yourself for the first time. So it was exciting. You know, and that's what led me to continually be here to this day is that excitement and that love of music. You know, like I love going around the world and rocking parties. Mm-hmm. Like that's a high for me. Dude, and I'm, that's one thing that I've known about Scheme is like his passport book is like stamps. Stamps. I have to say I'm a stamp collector. Yo, you don't understand. Like stamped. I remember I, quick digression, being on Instagram maybe a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. And over here, it may have been like 12 p.m. or whatever, 1 o'clock p.m. Mm-hmm. You were rocking a party at 5 a.m. in Russia? Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> it was 5 a.m., bright lights, people were... Oh, that was the joint. Oh, yeah, that was uh, that was St. Petersburg, Russia. And that part of the season is called White Nights. Mm-hmm. And it's like the sun comes up at like 4 in the morning. And it looks like ten in the morning. Damn sure. But it is. the sun comes up mad early, and like we was the party was rocking. We was on a big this big rooftop mm-hmm. in the middle, and like an abandoned warehouse. And it was just like a rooftop. And we was just like wilding out. Like it was it was like five in the morning, six in the morning. I think that party ended like eight in the morning. I left at like six. Mm-hmm. But yo, that yeah, white nights in Russia. It's like because it's it's like the sun comes up at like four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it was bananas. That was the most, it was the craziest thing that I saw at the time. As I was online, I saw this picture on Instagram, this movie. I said, yo, he's, I said, yo, it's in Russia. It's at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And people were just, people were just dancing. People like, just dancing. Like, people don't do that here right now. Nope. People don't do that. That's what bothers me. Like, so you figure people, Philly was always a party city. Always had after after hours joints. Like it was always the party city. New York was the city that you know went till five in the morning. Some spots went till six in the morning. I feel like now by two o'clock, people ready to go home. People ain't partying. You know, there's just people that's partying, but 
the masses ain't partying like they was partying before. When I go to when I go to Europe, I'm rocking till four. When I go to Japan, I'm rocking till five, sometimes six. And after that, people still up. And we're like, yo, we're about to go get ramen. Like we all just catching the subway, go get ramen after a party. Mm-hmm. Here, catch is just like 130, 145, time to go home. They start playing like the like the slow records to ease you out. And it's like Yeah. See, and and the thing is, the slow records. There's a time and a place that you could do them slow records. Like some people do the slow records to ease you out. Some people do the slow records because it's like, yo, I'm trying to get you laid tonight. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that's the era I come from, the red light bulb in the basement where it's like, yo, we're going to rock these slow joints. You know, I'm good for throwing the slow joints on at the height of the party and having everybody just feeling it and then bring the tempo back up again. You know, I'm good for that. You know, and then the last half an hour of the party, I'm de- I'm throwing the sweet soul 45s in. Cause that's what I was listening to at the at the house parties back in the day, the dollar parties, you know, or that's what I was listening to at the Quiet Storm at WDAS at night, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's it's I feel like cats ain't really partying like that. Cats get tired. Cause like, look, mind you, I'm born in '84, right? Also, side note, um, he, scheme came up around um, a venue in Winfield where the Transformer Scratch was first yeah. done at. And you all know, it's all it's widely publicized that like, Jazzy Jeff is known for it. Right. But the creator of the said Transformer Scratch was Spinbat. Spinbat. But a different Spinbat from who you know to the day. Not was, New York Spinbat. This is the OG Spinbat in Philly. OG. Indeed. So it was like, you know, like, there's been, there's always been these things about like so-and-so create this, the Transformer, so-and-so. No. Spinbad was the one who did the Transformer first. Plain and simple. What was the name of the venue? The Wind Plaza or the Wind Ballroom. You know, that was the the Wind Ballroom was was like a ballroom, mm-hmm. a, a, a banquet hall, but they used to have all of the illest parties up there. You know, like people like Bobby Dance would throw parties. He was like legendary promoter in Philly. Mm-hmm. He would throw parties there. But this one particular one where the where the Transformer was created. It was an all-city DJ battle that went on. And every DJ, every thorough DJ in the city was there that night battling. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time that anyone had heard that scratch was there. And every DJ that was the DJ was in the city was there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's never happening anymore. Like, something like that's not happening. You're not hearing something, and then that makes an impact, and that changes the whole game. Because the Transformer scratch changed the whole game, mm-hmm. you know. No one's doing anything now that's like changing the whole game like that. That was so new. Because yeah, now, you're right, because now I don't, there's nothing that's like. Yeah, there's nothing, there's no pair of sneakers that can come out that just change the whole game forever. I mean, yeah, like, there's been dope sneakers, but nothing's, I mean, maybe like the new Adidas, like, um, what are they, the MD whatever's. Um, the, not the easy boost. What are you talking about? The, the yeah, ones out. Yeah, 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 like the boost joints, like like with the nice sole, like yeah. that changed the game sneaker wise for Adidas, and like now that's why Adidas are like the number one selling sneaker right now. Yep. So that changed it, but that's a rarity that something comes out and completely changes the game because everything is a rehash of what happened already. I remember when I was a kid, like before I, before I even knew what sneakers really were, like you had. 
like Pumas were popping off in the seventies, right? Mm-hmm. That was the cultural thing. Then you had the shell tops in the eighties. It was like hip popped out, mm-hmm. boom. But then when the Jordans came out, mm-hmm. that started a cultural revolution as well in terms of how sneakers were, in terms of like athletes having their own sneaker and right. different styles and colorways and all that. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, yeah, I don't think that we have new things now. No. Because like a lot of things you said before is, are just rehash. It's rehash. And, but, the, but the funny thing is, dare I say ironic, is that you have these new cats now who are trying to claim, like, sovereignty over these things of the culture mm-hmm. when these things have already been done before by other people yeah you know it was just that the newer generation they have a limited frame of reference right I do, I do commend some of them for like trying to go through like tumblr or things like that to find old images and post them on their on their instagrams yeah but it's difference between just seeing a picture and copying it and then actually taking time to go back and, and research watch these things yeah listen to these interviews yeah you know like because there's a lot you can get from these older people, right? These these older films, these old pieces of art, right? That you could incorporate in what you're doing now without actually jacking it. It's like yeah. you can find inspiration without. And that's the thing: find it. inspiration without jacking it, right? Which a lot of people are just jacking. Period. You know, I'm all about like taking something that was dope at a certain time period, and then being like, "Man, that inspired me to do this right here." You're still going to feel like some aesthetics from that. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be done in a totally correct way. You know, that's my way. Right. You know, and so like you said, like cats just, they just jacking. So what was it like for you, like, say you DJing um, from like mid 80s to, I want to say, 90, right? Mm-hmm. When you had all these fresh styles coming up. Mm-hmm. Because nowadays, I don't see people really dressing up to go out to parties anymore. Nah, people, yo, let me tell you. Philly might be one of the like bummiest places that pe- like people people don't go out dressed like we used to get fresh. We used to get fresh to go out. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go into party, your sneakers was clean. You know, you pressed your shirt, you pressed your jeans. Everything was fresh on you. You know, I'm gonna take it back. I'm gonna take it back to like '85, right? '84, mm-hmm. like, and I'm talking about like drug era, like 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 junior black mafia area you know like girls i like when i was in high school i was in high school with girls who they boyfriends was like heavy drug dealers philly right heavy drug dealers Mm -hmm. even if your girl even if the girl's boyfriend wasn't a drug dealer but you had some money you went to the corner store with your hair done you know what i'm saying like you you walked to the corner store like you was about to go to the club you know, you if you was going if you was going up the street to the laundromat, you had your Gucci pocketbook on. You had your 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 MCM pocketbook. Like the this whole this whole like you walk out the house and you just kind of like the the let it be look like shit look. Like we didn't do that. Like girls always girls never wore a scarf out the, on their head to go outside. Yo, that's new shit to do for me too, man. Yeah, they, was, they never did that. that there was, was no scarf. Like all of the girls I knew that that I grew up with in the eighties. Into the early '90s, was mad fly. They was fly from sun up to sundown. So when you went to the party, they was fly. They had the ill fit on. Dudes was always fly. I was going to high school and I was wearing like slacks. You know what I'm saying? You go to a party. If you go to a party, like dude, 
going to parties in the 80s, if you went to a party, especially North Philly, if you went to a party in North Philly, you would see cats there and they have like ostrich skin shoes, gaiters on. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you went to house parties or clubs fresh. You had your jeans or your slacks on because we used to wear French cut slacks. You used to have your slacks on, you know, your ill shirt. Whether it was like a polo shirt or a Lacosta shirt or a button down, and you had your ill like your 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 skins on, your gaiters or your your Crocs on, like that was you. That was every day fresh. Like I never, I never had a bummy day in the eighties. I don't think anybody in the eighties, everybody was going out looking fresh. You went to the movies, you was going fresh because you never knew who you was bumping into. That's what it was. This new era of like you just walk out the house kind of just like looking like shit. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like I, my grandfather, I never saw him without slacks on a day in his life. Mm. He would wash the car on Saturday afternoons in slacks and a button down shirt. And that's the only time he wore sneakers. He was shoes every other time. You know what I'm saying? Like, we live in, if you look at movies, if you look at Humphrey Bogart movies, you look at all these movies, everybody's wearing suits. Men are wearing hats. This new era is like, you see people wearing like Jordans with dog jeans on and dog jackets on. Like, the, the, the combination, we, we, if your sneakers was fresh, your jeans was fresh. Your, your jeans fresh, your shirt's fresh. Your shirt's fresh, your jacket's fresh. Mm-hmm. And you have a haircut. Now you see dudes, they got like limited edition sneakers, but the rest of your, your outfit is like shitty. Going house with do-rags on the shit. Yeah, so I don't understand that. I don't understand that. But like I said, Philly, Philly is like one of the like one of the places that I'm just like, yo, what happened? We used to always be fresh, and now you go out and it's like, eh, people aren't really fresh. But I go other places. Like I just came back from Denver. I did a party out there. Everybody was sharp. Like I go certain places and, and girls are like fly dresses, you know, dudes just like dope suits on whether you black, white, Puerto Rican, you know, Asian, well, like everybody, like everybody's just fly, like the, the pinup chicks and their hair is always done. You know what I'm saying? Like those scenes still get it. The pinup girls and the whole like rockabilly scene and they like really fresh with suits on and like girls got the pinup outfits on. That's fly, you know, but like. It's kind of bummy, man. I hate to see it, man. People are just like, it's bummy. I remember back when I was a kid, my mom and my dad would go out, right? And they were always dressed up going to the club. Yeah. Right? Even if you have, if you ever watched like, people out there, if you watch House Party, pay attention to how everybody in the house party was dressed at Play's house during that party. Yeah. Kid, and, um, kid had a button-down shirt and slacks. Play was dressed fresh. Even Bilal had a hat on, but he still had fresh gear on. Right. Nobody was in there, in there looking bummy. No. This is like 90 when that movie was made, right? Nobody in that flick was, was bummy. Like, if you ever look back at, if you ever go on YouTube, there was a video that I saw, man. It was like, this, this was, it was this guy and this girl, they was on this, um, this, this dance routine to a house record. Mm-hmm. It's like this place might have been out in Jersey somewhere, I'm not sure. But they were... Everybody in there was still dressed fresh. Yeah. Like, it was a time period, like, me and my buddies was like, cool, we going to the old city? Right. Know, pants on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or we might have fly pair of jeans on, but, like, like nice jeans. Yeah. No holes in them. Button-up shirt. 
shoes is on point. We go out going out to kill. But we go to these places and me and my homies, we be standing looking like GQ'd up. Right. Everybody else is looking like Yeah. Like bums. I'm like, what? Yeah. Like what? Like oversized shit. Dude, yeah, that's just not cool. Yeah. So it's, it was a lot that I that I picked up on for my for my youth. My old school music music videos. Movies like, you know, um, I'm into these all the time. Boomerang, Strictly Business. Yeah, um, that was the that was the last of the like Get Fresh era. New Jack Swing era was like. Yeah, that was the last to Get Fresh era because it's funny. I remember Steady being and was performing one time, and he was like, it, it was funny because because he 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 was correct. He got on the mic and he was like, "Yo, what the hell happened to everyone being fresh?" He's like, this is Philly. We was always fresh. Now everybody looking extra bummy. Y'all wearing fatigues. Y'all got Timberlands on. Everybody got the the angry face on. And this and that. He was like, yo, we was fresh. We always rocked the fresh Philly's fitted cap, which he had one on. You know, he was, Stead was always fresh. I grew up with Stead. He was always fresh. But I was like, yup, that was the air. Once the fatigues came in, that was the downfall of, of like hip hop and people being fresh. They were, they were fresh in their videos. Yeah. Wait a minute. Steady B was fresh in his videos. Um, a dude, E-Money. It was E-something. Oh, what's his face? Because um, he, he lived around the corner from me. Um, Because um, he wore glasses. He wrapped in the one joint. Um, that's Steady joint. Go, yeah, go study. Go, go study. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, why can't I think of his name? Um, I can't think of his name. Yeah, but he lived around He lived around the corner from me. Yeah. Right. Fresh dude, too, right? Only person I thought was never fresh, I thought he was corny, was Cool C. Let me explain to you why I said Cool yeah. C was, was corny. <laughs> because he had on the little, you know, the squishy, like, uh, sweatsuits? The Sergio Tatini sweatsuits and stuff. Right. Yeah, that was, <laughs> yeah, that was when things started changing a little bit. Because the pants was mad tight, right? Yeah. Well, and he's tall. You he's got, tall. He's, he's, he's mad tall. He's mad tall. And the pants... Like, hold up, bro. Like, the pants will come up, like, to his, like, his calf muscle. You see number white socks right. and black sneakers. I'm like, dude, look how crazy in that Yeah, right that's, there, yeah, yeah. He, he had them chains on. You know, yeah. And I'm shout out to the Hilltop Hustlers, you know what I mean? You know, uh, crazy how that situation went down. Yeah. You know? But that's when I, I kind of took pride in it because like even when cats had hot top fades we was always fresh always fresh you should y'all should see like Skeen's prom picture back in the day yo yeah my shit was fresh yeah the hot top fade but the suit was on point yo yo that's how I do you know what I'm saying like I was always fresh I was like matter of fact I'm gonna tell you the two freshest cats me and Michael Blackson went to school together tell them we went to school together and it was funny because Cats used to call me Kwame. I don't know why they was calling me Kwame. Like the boy genius. Yeah, you know, like last year of high school, it was like we was we was fresh. Like I like I had a high top. I would always wear like slacks. But Mike Blackson would they call him Kane because he looked like Big Daddy Kane. He had the high top fade. He always wore Bally sneakers. He always wore silk suits and big chains. Every day of the week, he wore silk suits, big chains, and Bally sneakers. So, Michael Blackson been here for that long, and that accent's still here, huh? 
Yo, he can turn that on and off. Peep, I, I, I peep he K. turns that on and off. Yeah. He turn, if I share the yearbook, man, like he's, that's the homie. You know what I'm saying? That's the homie. Like we was rolling tough in high school, rolling tough, mm. you know, but when we was like the two freshest cats. Damn, dude. Because uh, first of all, I don't hear anybody say, you know, rest in peace to Biggie and all, but like, I still like polka dot shirts, big. Yo, polka dot shirts was it. Like, yo, polka dot shirts, polka dot tie, or polka dot socks. Yo, that was it. I remember I went, yo, the Gap used to sell the illest polka dot shirts. Yes, they did. That's where I got mine from. Dude, they even, um, in the last ill shirt I saw them put out from the Gap that was like pattern era. Mm hmm. I had these two shirts my cousin gave it to me, man. Those shirts were going. I'm upset I gave them away, but I grew them, whatever. Well, um, it was this red. And it was an all red joint with white stars on it, mm-hmm. and all blue joint with all white stars on it. Nice. And I was like, these shirts are the flyest shits ever. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, because even now, like the designs now aren't that. It's designs like- aren't like that. Nope. Nope. You know, and for me, like, like I grew up fresh because my older cousin mm-hmm. was fresh. Like my older cousin, he made all his clothes. I've never known him to buy clothes. The most he would buy would maybe be a pair of jeans. All his shirts, all his silk shirts, all his button downs, he sewed them joints. He made all them joints. His fur coats, he made them joints. Damn. Like my cousin was the fly. Like he was, he was, he was JJ from Good Times. Word. He was JJ in the 70s, 80s. He was JJ from Good Times. He never bought clothes. Like he was the flyest dude. He mad women always had ill frames on. Mm-hmm. Like he was the man. So I come from a line of freshness. As you, as you should. You know? As you should, man. I, I just I just love looking back at these photos. Um, I uh, shared a photo recently. It was of Kitten Play's Too Hype album cover. Mm-hmm. It was the back cover. Let me tell you something. These guys, all they had on, they had on a plain black t-shirt. If anybody had like black jeans on or black pants and they had like the um, Jordan 3s on. Mm-hmm. And they killed it. Yeah. And they killed it. There was something about freshness back then. It was effortless. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we saw how like Dapper Dan was doing it in Harlem. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, you had to be of a certain, you know, uh, certain class. Right. You know what I mean? You know, under the table shit you had to, you had to do right. to dress like that. You know what I mean? Because everybody wasn't wasn't dressing like that. Drug cats was doing it. Right. Not everybody I mean? was dressing like that. Athletes, if you had the money, you could do it. Right. But but freshness overall in the eighties, it was like it wasn't about the name per se. It was about how you were able how to you wore it, like and present it to the world. All the Mickey Mouse joints, all the Coca Cola, the Benetton rugby's, all them rugby's, the the Mickey Mouse, the Benetton, the Coca Cola rugby's, mm-hmm. like that was just fresh. And everybody rocked it different. You know, whether you rocked it with like sweatpants or whether you rocked it with jeans, it was everybody was different. Look at the look at the the the, the three times dope album cover. When they was rocking the Jordans and they was rocking everybody wanted to do what they was doing. Right. Look at like Philly was influential. Look at Lecoq Sportif. No one was rocking Lecoq Sportif but before Philly was. Mm-hmm. Nobody. Look at Will and Jeff's albums. They was rocking Lecoq Sportif. Because they had the sponsorship. Nobody was rocking that before them. We brought all that stuff to the table. I'll do another one. Fila. I remember 
in the 80s, around the corner from my crib out in Ballard Kenwood, there was a Fila tennis shop. Really? Yeah. In Ballard Kenwood, there was a Fila in the 80s. There was a Fila tennis shop. There wasn't even Fila's being sold in stores like that. But it was a tennis shop out in the suburbs. It was a Fila tennis shop right next to a cleaners on this little, it was like a little strip mall where it was like three or four stores. It was a cleaners and it was the Fila, Fila tennis store. Yo, let me tell you something. For those who aren't from Philadelphia who remember listening to this show, Bala Kenwood, to me, growing up, was like, it seemed like the place to be. Yeah. Like, it seemed like, if you ever grew up in the 80s, right, you've seen shows like freaking Dynasty and shit like that. Yeah. People, you know, you know, people were dressing, dressed a certain way, people had nice cars. Yep. Bala Kenwood to me seemed like a freaking kingdom compared to where I lived at. And mind you, I didn't live in a bad neighborhood. Like, right. Where we, where we are right now recording this show, I grew up half a block from here. Right. And it's always been like a good a good neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But Bala Kenwood then. Back to, then, that was the suburbs that was like. And keep in mind, cars. it was like one block away from being in Philly. Yeah. But that line was there. That line was there. That, <laughs> that was line was there. Avenue. That line was there because you knew once you crossed that line where you were. You were in a different township. The houses. The houses. The cars. The yep. businesses. Everything. For the fact that you would see, like, there was no record in my mind that I can recall ever seeing, like, a feel like tennis store, tennis, tennis shop, pardon me, in the city of Philadelphia. No. So you had to be in a good area yep. for it to be that. Like, Lord and Taylor's is where it's at for a reason. Lord and Taylor, Saxon Avenue. And the thing is, since I live up there, we never had to go anywhere else for gear. Because our art in the 80s, we went to Lord and Taylor's, we went to Saxon Avenue to shop. Mm-hmm. That's 80s. How many people was going to Lord and Taylor's and, and Saxon Avenue to shop in the 80s? That's where we was going. We we had five minute walk from the crib, and we was like, "Yo, we going here to get these Lacoste shirts." Mm-hmm. We going, you know, girls was going to Saks Fifth Avenue to go get Gucci pocketbooks and stuff like that. Like we didn't have to go nowhere, you know. And for the Fila tennis shop to be a five minute walk from the crib, dude, come on. Now now everybody can go everywhere. Nothing special. Nothing's neighborhood and regional like it used to be. Right. Now it's like, oh, everyone goes to the mall or everyone goes downtown or everyone goes before nobody was coming up our way to get stuff. Nobody. Because our crib seemed like miles away from everything, but it's not. You know, Cash just wasn't coming up there. Dude, Shit, we had a skating rink up there. Where? On City Line Avenue. Really? Fuck yeah. It was a skating rink back in the day where St. Joe, Joseph's is. It was a, it was a skating rink. It used to be like Larry's cheese. Where matter of fact, behind Larry's cheesesteak used to be um, it used to be an empty lot, mm-hmm. and then right by, behind that it was a big warehouse, and it used to be a skate rink right there. Back in the day, I'm telling you, we didn't have to go no. We never left the neighborhood. We it was a bowling alley of the way. We didn't have to go, we didn't have to go nowhere. My God, yo. Yeah. Because uh, look, growing up for me, um, like Bonnington would going out there once in a while was like. Oh my god! Like you know, like you know, well, you know, I had the homes, the stars. Oh man, it's crazy out here. But from but uh, going from Philly, I used to look at 69th Street as like the place. That was not yeah, yeah. And we talking about like for me, I'm talking about like 89 to about like 95, 96, mm-hmm. kind of like to that to that line. Once like 
you went past 97, 2000 and on, it, it started to lose its luster for me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, but like, 669th Street was everything. Cause I remember growing up, being around with my dad. You know, he would be with his friends and all like that. And I would see like the girls in that neighborhood. Yeah. Girls. Like, I used to think that all the finest women lived above like 55th Street. Mm-hmm. And my neighborhood, like, they go 55th to 60th, whatever. Like, that's where all the fine women was up there. 69th Street, all the fine girls was up yeah. there. Yeah. You know, I'm like, they got to be there. Then it's like 2018, and ain't nothing the fine women there no more. Nope. They're not there no more. They're not. I got to look above and beyond. Now they all hiding fucking Sheltonham <laughs> and like Mount Airy now. Right. But like, yeah, that used to be like the spot for the hike. Yeah. Because like Sears was there. And Sears was there. there. Best was there. Yeah. Sears Big was there. man. Yeah. Best was there and um, and McDonald's was always there. And always McDonald's there. was always there. Always there. But for me. The movie theater was always there. Word. That was like always, always there. Shop the record Kitty store, City. Sound yeah. of Upper Darby was there. That, yep. That's always been there. Definitely. Kitty City was always there. That was a spot. Yeah. Everything. 69th Street was, was dope. It was it was everything. And like I used to view the gallery in the same way. But the gallery to me, again, same time period, 88 to like mid-90s, was when the gallery was the gallery to me. Mm-hmm. The, the stores in there, the shops. Not only that, the people who was open there. Mm-hmm. Once like once the, once it got hood in that spot, I was like, yeah, this isn't enjoyable no more. No. Nah. And the, the gallery only got hood because of the kind of stores that came in that joint. Exactly. Because we had like eighteen thousand variations of City Blue. Yep. You know, and that's why I like that shit destroyed like fashion, City Blues, and all them. That shit kind of just like because it made. Cause it set a precedent in terms of what people think fashion was, right? Especially amongst amongst us, amongst, yeah. Amongst like the, the black teens, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? We thinking that yo, in order for us to be fly here, we gotta get the Jabot jeans, we get my yep. shirts, we gotta get fitted caps, we gotta wear fucking Air Force Ones, yep. Because we don't get that, then these girls over here ain't gonna like us. Yeah, right, right. The game was more, but fashion in terms of what made us fresh was bigger than that. Mm-hmm. We bought into what we thought made us dope. Right. Rather than finding pieces and making ourselves dope. Right. And I'll tell you right now, I still don't believe that it was a time period where I was wearing 2X t-shirts. Oh, definitely not. Big ass jeans and like in, in Air Forces. No. And fitteds thinking that was dope. That was an ugly look. It was bad, man. That was an ugly look. It was bad. And some of us wore wig, like we're on wave caps and fucking do-rags. Like, yeah, we, it's, we, it's, we in Yo, style. see, that's what I'm saying. Like, we never rocked Wave caps and do rags out the crib back in the day. That shit was to get your waves on, but you when you stepped out the crib, your shit was fresh. You know, the only the only people that rocked the wave cap was like old head dudes that had like some gel up in their hair. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They was running to the store. But wasn't nobody rocking the wave cap like that. You know, was mm-hmm. nobody like we, we wasn't doing that. The only time you had a, a, a like a stocking cap anywhere around your around your head is if you was going to rob somebody, and you was putting that shit over your face. But we wasn't wearing that out the house like that. My uncle, like I remember spending nights sometimes over his crib, where I'll be there like while early in the morning. Right. He come out staggering, stocking cap. Stocking cap, yo. But that was only in the house. Yeah, you didn't leave the house without with that shit on. No, unless he was like he was a crackhead or something like that. Exactly. 
you know, but now um, there was so much about the city that I didn't know. I, I got some things from my dad because mm-hmm. my dad um, was like 30 and like 91. So he was, his 20s was when like shit was popping, was popping in the city, you know, like certain clubs he would go to downtown. Or a place he would go and he would get dressed up. There's a picture of my dad and my godfather. They was on the steps at my grandmother's house. And they both got on leather pants. He got on like the black leather joints. I miss leather pants. My godfather had on gray joints. <laughs> like, that was some fly shit to have on. Yo, I miss rocking leather pants. And they had the sweaters to go with it. The sweater. The, 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 the chains weren't like uh, what probably you say... 48 chains going down. Right. No, they were just classy chains. Yeah, it was a small joints. No medallion on them joints. Right. They, they, they had their rings on. Yep. But it was never OD. No. Nah. Never over the top. They did what they had to do, and it, and it was cool as hell. Right. You know, because like now, I'm like, damn, I'd rather dress like that then than try to copy this shit now. Yo, I don't even know what's what now. Dog, it's like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not knocking anybody, but I'm not really like a Rick Owens Rap Simmons kind of guy. Right. Like, I'm a guy who, like, I might see, if anything, I'm, I will wear, like, um, MCM joint or Gucci joint. Yeah. Mostly because I saw how big it was when I was growing up. Right. I was one right. piece of it. Like, now, people, like, I want I want to get luxury. Listen, there's a pair of, like, Spitz Like Jordans that's, like, $86 because yep. it's on sale right now that I want to get because... It's nice sneakers and it's on sale. Right. Like I'm from an era when, like, look, we wasn't trying. Like, listen, I'm gonna tell you, even when Avizu jeans was popping, mm-hmm. I didn't want them shits. Right. Because I'm not spending two hundred, three hundred dollars on a pair of jeans when I'm a teenager and I'm barely making six fifty at a job with TJ Maxx. Exactly. You know exactly. what I'm saying? Exactly. Exactly. Like, I wasn't gonna do that. Right. But because people were so amped and trying to. Like live out because Hove mentioned it in a, in a rap bar. Yeah, want to do that, and I'm like, yo, but you gotta realize the difference here. That's Hove, and the, you, you know what's crazy? And the crazy thing is, those dudes mention stuff, and it become a thing, but they can afford it. We was rocking Gucci sneakers in '84. Gucci sneakers in '84. The only place you can get Gucci sneakers, mm-hmm. Atlantic City Caesars Casino. They had the Gucci store. That was the only place. So you had dudes from New York going to Atlantic City. You had people from Philly going to Atlantic City. That was the only place you can get Gucci sneakers. Really? Atlantic City Gucci store. Black Thought says it in one of, one of his rhymes, too, the joint that him and Ghostface did together. And he talked about, you know, 84 Gucci's Atlantic City Gucci store. You know, and at that, at that time, this is 84. That time, the low-top canvas, canvas with a little bit of leather, was $95. That's 84 the high tops was 150 the high top leathers was 195 and well, that's 84 that's 84 cuz crazy cuz now you might get a pair of like high class jordans right for 195 right and jordans ain't no comparison to to gucci 84s no nah, no comparison not at all because and correct me if i'm wrong but remember when the S-Doc cards came out? Yeah, they was Reebok rip-off Gucci's. Right. Yeah. And you had, the, like, the other ones were, like, rip-off um, or knockoffs of, uh, I think, the G-Units. The G-Unit joints. like, the Rod Labors. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 
Yep. Those are Adidas tapes, so you'll know, like, because my two of my favorite Adidas sneakers, classic ones, um, over the over the um, shell tops or shell toes, as they're, as they're probably called, um, were the Stan Smiths mm-hmm. and the Rod Lavers. Mm-hmm. Those two are my favorite joints. Mm-hmm. I still wear them to this day. Depends on what, what kind of jeans I got on, but like, yeah. So like. They the Reeboks that came out with SI cars and Zeniths were knockoffs of those. Yeah, those Gucci sneakers. My dad was like, "Oh, these are old Gucci's." I was like, "What?" And I got a fresh pair. <laughs> I got a fresh pair. You know, it's crazy because see, the thing is, like, when I first saw them, the Reebok joints come out, the S cars, I was like, I was at the gathering. For those who don't know, the gathering uh, occurs at the Rotunda here in the city of Philly every last Thursday. Every uh, yeah, every last Thursday. Every last Thursday, um, all the B boys go there. Cyphers go there. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Um, shout out to my homie Fame. Yeah, B boy in the city. He's had a birthday a couple days ago, and one more person who was a staple of the gathering crowd. Um, just a quick segue, but rest in peace to Katora Caesar. Yeah, yeah, rest in peace. Rest in peace. She was a B girl. She was into all the arts, man. She was definitely out here doing her thing. Um, but definitely doing her thing. So, what year was this? Like, was this 04 when you saw it at the at the gathering? Yeah, and and I forgot who it was. 04, it was 04. it was um, it was. It was it was some rapper. I can't even remember who it was. It was a Philly rapper. I can't even remember who it was. But I saw him on his feet, and I was like, oh, shit, they brought the Gucci's back out. But then I looked, and I was like, there's something different about him. Mm. And then when I went home, and then, like, you know, the buzz came on, it was like, oh, those is Reebok joints. They was, but I, I bugged out because I was like, oh, shit, mm. they Gucci's, but they weren't Gucci's. I'm going to tell you something. There's only one pair of Vestock Carters mm-hmm. that I like. The rest of them were, like, whack to me. Mm-hmm. And they were the brown and canvas joints yeah yeah that was like because they were like clean they were like they were nice like you could wear them with some, with some slack yeah nice. it wasn't just like sneakers it was just like they, right. was, they was good looking other ones i'm like eh, i can go home with this shit yeah then, then they redid them again a second that's like harder twos i'm like yeah now y'all just going in the direction of these other kicks that was already out right ago it's like let's, let's just leave it alone yeah yeah, so damn, dude, I never knew there was a, um, a Gucci store in yeah, LA Yeah, at Caesars Palace. That was the only, that's the only way you can get the Gucci 84s. You used to go down and you used to get your, like, your Gucci sweatshirts with the G's on it, you know, your Gucci socks, your Gucci belt. Like, that's where you had to go. And keep in mind, as a young buck, like, we, you, the only way to get, you had to catch the bus down there. You had to catch, like, the Greyhound joint to go down Lang City. Or, like, the bus used to meet, like, you know how Chinatown bus takes you to New York? It was one of the buses where you can catch it on Vine Street. On Fifty Six and Vine, like the bus used to go there and mm-hmm. used to take you to to Atlantic City. Yeah, yeah. If you had a little bit of money, then you can catch like the Amtrak or something down there, New Jersey Transit. But right. most people just caught the bus. Go down there, Lang City Gucci store, boom, buy your Gucci's. Use the man, you know. That's and it's funny because two thousand four or twenty fourteen was it twenty fourteen? Yeah, twenty fourteen. Gucci celebrated the 30th anniversary of the Gucci 84s, and they reissued them and put them back out. Word. If they put them out for like a year. I know that. So I was like, I had to buy them. Slacking. You know? They was, and the thing is, keep in mind, 95 back in 84, and when they came out, they was like 295 when they came out. It was like 300 bucks or whatever it was. Word. But I was like, I got to have them. They Gucci 84s. They're never going to come out again. 
They come out on summery, sunny days only where you want to just be fresh. Yo, speaking of, of like, I've like closing the stash. So one day, me and you went to a party in New York. Mm-hmm. You pulled up. Back when I lived, um, I was living at uh, my parents' spot, right? Back, it's like it's like a couple a couple years ago. Yeah. You had on this all white outfit. What was I rocking, dude? It was like you had like a short sleeve shirt, white slacks on, and some white kicks. Uh, that might have been my my polo lay. That was yeah. <laughs> that was my polo lay I right there. Like, this come from? He's like, yo, all vintage, all vintage, all vintage from the stash. And I'm yeah, like, yo, what is this? He's like, you was looking at me like, yeah, man. That's all vintage. Like that's definitely early '90s, crispy white. And I I envy anybody who can wear all white and not get to stand on it the entire night. You yo, were DJing. Yo, it's funny because the last time I had wore all white i did a party in switzerland it was a it was the winter time and it was like an all-white party because it was we were up in the alps and it was just like you know you had to rock white Jesus. and i'd straight white slacks white polo shirt you know what I'm saying like it was just, just just fly damn dude yeah i keep i keep joints in the stash now speaking of of, of like vintage in the, in, the, in the good old days right you gotta tell me about the tunnel oh the tunnel was it the tunnel the yo i used to it's funny i used to go to the tunnel with my home my homeboy chris ramos Mm -hmm. chris ramos was the dude like early 90s was the guy that kind of really got me in the industry like he used to be like carrots one's um road manager he was road manager for um wise intelligent for a while you know so like he was the dude like if i needed a record deal or like something like that like we was in all the parties all the record labels like he was the guy you know, um, so we used to go to the tunnel, me, him, and then it was my homegirls that lived down Penrose, this girl Danielle and her sister Sheila, you know, Italian joints. And we was like nonstop to the tunnel. The tunnel was like it, like flex, you like you go and flex is spinning. Like it was just the ill spot, mm-hmm. but it was also the dangerous spot. It was definitely dangerous. It was definitely like, you know, metal detectors. <laughs> it was definitely like, mm-hmm. you know, security was heavy. You know, it was. The tunnel stuff, but I had so many great times at the tunnel. The music was always on point. Always. Girls was always and everybody was there. Everybody who was somebody that was like in the industry at that time, whether it was like Sadat X, Grand Pooba, like everybody who was somebody rap wise was at the tunnel. I J Ru, I would see J Ru damage in there all the time. Like everybody, if you was somebody, you was at the tunnel. What was the vibe like in, in New York at, at that time? Because I know it was raw. It was raw. It was raw, but it was like parties was parties. People was going out. Like people were piling in clubs. Like there was no empty clubs. There was no like, oh, there's only 50 people in here tonight. No, this is Monday. Because we used to go to New York. Like I used to go to work to New York three, four times a week. Easy. Easy. Drive up or catch catch the train. Three, four times a week, nonstop. And I was going to all of the parties. I was going to Tunnel. I was going to Home Base. I was going to the Muse. I was going to the Red Zone. I was going to um, um, the Arena. Like, I was I was in New York all the time. Three, four times a week, nonstop. Because you know, this is a funny thing. This is showing my age. Do you know what gave me my first exposure to New York, like, nightlife? What? Two movies. 
Turtles 1 and Turtles 2. Yeah. <laughs> because like, it, cause it gave me an idea about what New York, New York was. Right. Style-wise, right? Mm-hmm. But Turtles 2, all right, look. Despite the scene featuring Vanilla Ice doing Ninja Rap, mm-hmm. I saw how people were dancing. Mm-hmm. Clothing they wore. How the style was. I was like, wow, dude, it seems like a, such a cool place to be. Mm-hmm. You know, like... My thoughts on New York have kind of changed as of late. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd rather like go overseas to like a London party or a party in New Paris. York's not New York anymore. It's not the same. Like you can still find dope parties, but there's a lot of new New Yorkers in New York that's not New York. So the venues change. Like with like with any major city, the, the club owners aren't really club owners. They're investment dudes. They're like somebody that gave their son this this venue or like there's investors involved. Where before, it was like this dude that owns this club, no, he owns nightclubs. That's what he does. That's what he loves. He loves the music. He loves the atmosphere. He loves to be the man. You know, these cats now, it's like they don't give a shit about the music. They could, they worrying about the paycheck at the end of the night. How much money is the club generating? That's why they're, right now, there's no legendary clubs in Philly of the last 10 years. There won't be any legendary club. The last legendary club was Fluid. Mm-hmm. Everything else now is just a club. Everything opens, it closes. It's you know, there's no legendary, there's no influential clubs that that's in Philly. Do you think that in this era now that we could possibly have a brand new Peter Gation? No. I'm telling you, it's it's it's. Oh, see, the music's changed, mm-hmm. the demographic of people have changed, and there's 20 cool hip neighborhoods, so people aren't leaving their neighborhood to go to these different clubs. You know what I'm saying? Like before, the thing about Philly, Philly's always been segregated. It's always been segregated. Facts. If you went, if you wanted to hear, there was two types of clubs. Or there was two types of places that people went to go hear music and drink. You had clubs that was in Center City. And that was all blacks and gays. Mm -hmm. And then you had your like South Philly neighborhood bars. There was no people outside like Center City where all the clubs was after six o'clock after work let out. Everybody who was white left and they went to their neighborhood. All of the clubs around in Center City and stuff like that was straight black clubs or gay clubs. What popping clubs were there in Center City at the time? Center City. So you figure Center City, if you go back to the to 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 eighties, um, shit, even uh, matter of fact, uh, the one that was down the street from the porn joint on Market Street, Club Vampires. You mentioned it to me a couple times before Club Vampires. That was like the gay club. But it was the popping club. Like, that was the club. You know, then you had the joint that was on um, on 7th and Arch. The joint that's been something like 50 times. Um, oh, what's the name of that joint? It's the joint on 7th and Arch. It's something now. It's a club there now. But it was it was a club back because WDS used to be used to like broadcast live oh, cause, back oh in the God. 80s. It's like. But it's something there days. now. Because right around the corner from um from the gallery right near Chinatown. Yeah, it's been it's been like five different clubs. Like, oh my god, yeah, I forgot what it's called now, but like it was 
Yeah, it's Phoenix. it's changed multiple times. Oh, it was Phoenix. That's what it was. Club Phoenix. Club Phoenix. Okay. Club Phoenix. Didn't let the wrong other names, but people always start getting shot out there. And shit. Yeah, like, yeah. But then again, and then on the same token, you had the neighborhood spots, which was just like halls. There's a spot on on 57th or 58th and Market called the Mayflower Mayfair. Mayfair, you know the big moving van companies mm-hmm. called Mayfair or Mayflower, or whatever it was, Mayfair. Mm-hmm. There was a big moving company on 57th and Market, and all the attractive trailers used to be parked in a lot. But next to it was a hall, and people used to rent out and throw parties there. DAS used to record broadcast live, and Butterball used to DJ there. Rest in peace, Joe. Saturday Paul night. Tamburo. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Saturday night. So it was like we had a, it was a lot of stuff, but like only blacks was going to clubs and gl- and gays. Mm-hmm. So it's just weird. Like so, Philly's mad segregated. So it's not like New York, where New York you kind of had more diversity going on, going in the clubs. Yes, it's heavy black. Yes, it's heavy Latino. But if you was the cool hip white boy, you know. Then you, you was rolling. Mm-hmm. And Philly, it wasn't like that. Philly in the 80s, up until, honestly, it wasn't until 90, early 90s, 92 maybe, that I saw other demographics in black cl- parties for the first time. The first time, man, I'm going to tell you the exact point. There was a club. It wasn't even a club. 125 Walnut Street, I think is the address, where the Ritz is. With a Ritz Theater. A recess was there now, right? Nah, well, you know where the Ritz Movie Theater is? Yeah. Directly across the street, it was a restaurant. It's, it's, it's one there now. It's a, um, like the old school joint. It's like, it's an old school, kind of like um, revolutionary period type of restaurant. Okay. Yeah. Well, back in like 9091, that was a Chinese restaurant. Like a nice high-end mm. Chinese restaurant. Okay. There's this dude named Fat Gary, and Fat Gary was just like some Jewish dude. His parents had some money. He was a jeweler. His parents owned jewelry stores. He wanted to open up a club. So basically, this dude went to the, to the, to the Chinese guys and was like, yo, after hours, we want to rent out the spot and throw parties. And that was the beginning of a club called Club Hardcore. The first night... Groove is DJing. Freddie Blast is DJing. The first night, Russell Simmons was there. Mm. Run DMC was there. Son of Berserk. Not Run DMC. Run was there. Son of Berserk was there. Like it was mad. Crush videos. Elliot, Mike Elliot was filming. That was the first time. So when that happened, and I looked and I was like, yo, there's like white hip hop kids here. And I had never seen anybody white in Philly going to hip-hop spots because there really wasn't no hip-hop spots and if there was it was like black neighborhoods Mm. you know that was the first time that i saw like anybody white going to these parties there's always been white kids doing graffiti in philly always but going to the hip-hop parties and going like to the clubs never saw them never saw them so Philly's always been mad segregated. So now, fast forward, if somebody tries to throw a really dope club and play a, a diverse selection of music, it's not going to work. It's not going to work because people too inspired by what they remember. Like, like you got one generation that all they want to hear is like 
trap and whatever, you know, whatever they want to hear. But then you got the other demographic that's like, we didn't grow up on this music. So all we know is what we're seeing on TV, Migos and all that shit. Mm-hmm. You know, whether, and, and that's people like, that's white, black, whatever, Asian, whatever. Like that's, you know, those people didn't grow up around black music. So for you to really just do a dope party of just dope music, cats ain't trying to check for it. My era was you playing like 10 different genres you know, that that late 80s, 90s era, you go to a party, you hear in hip hop, house, reggae, and of course, R&B dance classics. You can't do that in a party now. You can't go hip hop, house, reggae in like a commercial club right now mm-hmm. in Philly. It just You can't do it. The owners will be mad and the people at the party will be mad because they don't want to hear. They want to hear what they hear on the radio. They ain't trying to hear like you go from hip hop to house to reggae. They ain't trying to hear that. So top 40 now. It's top 40. And the thing was, there's always been top 40 music. Always. But you could play that shit in the club along with everything else. The deep cuts and things like that. Yeah, now you can't do that. Because that's funny because I look at, uh, I'll see your Instagram, but you don't talk about it as much as other DJs. I see like, it makes me laugh when I see Rich Medina post about it. Um, Other DJs post about it. when They're like, they're playing their records. Mm Mm-hmm. And that one person like, hey, can you play so-and-so, such-and-such? He was like a top 40 record. Mm-hmm. They're like, look where you at. Right. Which is true. Look where you at. Look where you at. Look, look, and understand what kind of party this is. Right. You know, look what I'm, what I'm playing is what I'm playing because it fits. Right. Right. The, the, the title of the, of the party. Yeah. You know? It's, it's weird. Like, people are like, I make a request. I'm like, you don't, like, you don't have that privilege here. But see, the thing is, those people... Didn't grow up in the club. I'm a club kid. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Those people aren't club kids. Those people go to the cool hip spot that everyone else go to. We grew up in the club. We knew etiquette. Like this, I don't blame this generation because they don't understand you don't ask for requests. Because they just now go into the clubs for the first time. Right. And that's how the, the way to work. Like everything is like instant now. Netflix. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like. So people think like, oh, you can just zap a song out of your ass and play this song. It don't work like that. So I don't blame this generation because all they know is technology. Mm-hmm. So me, I've been fortunate and blessed enough that I don't get requests. And when I do, it's for some dope shit that fits what I'm playing. Because people go into your party, it's like they know what, they, what they're walking into. Exactly. So they're going to ask a question about, all right, so you're doing 45, it's a funk. You got this James Brown joint, right? You got this, or if you doing like um or like a Prince joint, you got this Prince record, word, boom, that's how you right. do it. Because I remember um, I used to go with you to um Fat Buddha in New York. Mm-hmm. Yo, the food there was banging. Yo, that food is still banging. I, I go back <laughs> up there, man. Um, I was there with you one time. Name dropped like a motherfucker, but I was there with you. Um, we were there for Jay Zone's book signing. Right. Jay Zone's a dope producer. Um, he's ill ill with the drums. Right, so um, his book too was really good too. If you could find it anywhere, it's uh, what, was, what was the name of the book? Um, the first one he dropped, "Root for the Villain." Um, that might have been it. "Root for the Villain." Was it? Was it the "Root for the Villain"? What was the other one? Uh, he did because he did too, right? He yeah. did. Yeah, the the villain one was the first one. That's the one that I got. Yeah, that that was the first one. So we were at um, Fat Buddha for the book release, and who I, who did I run into there? Danger Mouse is in there in the cut. Yep. See, that's that New York. That's that's what's like. 
there's no telling who's popping up at the party. And it, it was so ill because, like, as big as Danger Mouse was, because this, this is after he did um, Gnarls Barkley one in the first two albums. Mm-hmm. He was on other stuff by that time. Mm-hmm. He was in there, but nobody really knew who he was. I mean, they, if you heard his name, yes. But his face, no. Because when he did the um, the great album, uh, the Beatles matched up with Jay-Z's album, yep. you just knew the name. Even when he did an album with, with, with CeeLo Green, like, you never saw his face. Nope. Nope. I was there with some, but me, me knowing music, I knew, you know, because people, because, like, you look at overseas publications, they're going to feature him because he's an overseas cat. So I knew what he looked like. I'm like, yo. So I got a Polaroid uh, with him and, and Jason. Also, let, let it be known while I'm here with Scheme, he can vouch for it, right? In the city of Philadelphia, know this. I was the Polaroid King. You were the Polaroid Don, the Polaroid King. Know that. Yeah, yeah. You was the you was you was the dude. I like, know I know that. And the reason why like, people did did it after me, but the way I was rocking it beforehand, nobody was rocking like I was rocking it out at parties, events, nothing like that. You were the Polaroid Don. So I might have to make a return here and there. You know what I'm saying? But look, I, I know um, you know, being scheme kicking it for a while, right? Long term, you know what I mean? It's, it's reaching the bewitching hour out here. <laughs> so before we, um, we conclude, I want to ask um, Scheme about one thing. Because Scheme was the guy who put me on to... Look, I knew about James Brown growing up, right? But I didn't really know about James Brown until I met Scheme. He put me on to a lot of the, the B-sides, the groups... I didn't know that James Brown had his own like Soul Train show for a while. Yeah, um, that was based out out of um, Atlanta. Atlanta. Future Shock. Future Shock. Right. Um, there's a lot about James Brown that I didn't know. So, scheme. Just just in general, we're gonna mix mix this with James Brown and the Forty Fives. What piqued your interest into like collecting and playing soul soul records and what was it about James Brown that you grabbed that you connected to? Well when it comes to soul music, Philly is the number one city of soul. Philly International Records, you know, Harold Melvin and Blue Notes, Teddy Pentagon. Like Philly is and always has been known for soul music. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple. There's no other city that's known for soul like we are. You know, the amount of record labels, all the 45 labels growing up. Like, yo, me on the school bus. I remember on the school bus, because I used to go to I used to go to Friends Select. Oh shit. I used to go to Friends Select back in the day. Okay. The bus driver had an eight track and he was playing all the soul joints on eight track on the bus. He had a speaker and he had an eight track. I'm on the school bus. So I'm hearing soul joints going to school in the morning, coming home in the afternoon, OJs, everything. You know what I'm saying? So, WDS. Listen to WDS, man. I got mad cassette tapes that I was pressing record on, The Quiet Storm. You know, so me growing up with all that soul music and then the influence of hip-hop, because number one, James Brown is the number one and original B-boy. Hip-hop's foundation of sampling was all James Brown. So that just all trickled, you know what I'm saying? That that all trickled into what I do. And like for me, he's the number one artist of all time. Number one. You know, like if I'm gonna do a tribute party, it's always gonna be the James Brown. Number one, Soul Brother. Soul Brother number one. You know what I'm saying? What he did and the, the his style and funk, he brought he brought it correct. His performance, there's no one like James. 
you know so for me just that connection of soul music into like watching people play 45s back in the day you know your mom had 45s whatever you know and then just bring it all full circle you know rock and parties the best era of of parties was playing soul music that's the best era have it my main man scheme which before we go well um before we get into the plugs we know where you can find scheme scheme is also not only is he into the you know, all things nostalgic comics video games and all that you know what i'm saying he also is a uh a fan of the uh burgers still still fan of burgers of course of course Yo, I'm the Burger King. I'm the Burger Connoisseur. <laughs> I'm one half of the Burger Brothers. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, y'all. I'm all about the ill burgers. Did you have the um the burger in Japan with the with the black bun? Did you have that one? No, nah, I didn't do that. Um, no, nah, I didn't do that one. Like, I'm sure it's good. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's really good. But like for me, and I've had burgers all around the world. But for me, I'm just like, yo, just give me a simple burger. I'm all about the quality beef. The bun's right, some cheese, boom. That's how we do it. Quality and simple, you know. But like the yeah, the black bun burger. Like I wanted to try it, but I'm like, yo, I don't want to fuck up my burger. If like if if I don't like it, then I'm mad because I done fucked up a burger. Right, the meat. Yeah, was outside presentation. Yeah. So where's your favorite burger? Favorite burger. All right. So top five. Father's office in LA. Um, Fedeku in Germany, in Cologne, Germany. Fedeku actually stands for it, like if you translate it, it translates to fat cow. Um, Village whiskey, Philly. Really? Yeah. If you get the if you get the whiskey king with the fagua on top of it, where's yeah. Whiskey? Where's uh, Village whiskey? On uh, across the street from um, Fat Jacks Comics. The fuck, really? Yeah, yeah. It's like on the corner before you get to Fat Jacks. It's on the corner of Fat Jacks, basically. Village whiskey. Oh, is that that place on the um the brick spot? Yeah. Oh. Village whiskey. It's like, like, it's like, like, like a brownstone. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Village whiskey. Shit. So that's that's the ill joint. I'm about to go over there. Right. Um, fourth spot, a spot in Japan called Whoopi Goldberger. <laughs> Yo, it's ill. And the dope thing about this burger spot, like it opens at noon. And by like two or three, done. It's sold out. Yeah. So you got to get there. And it only sits like six people in the spot because Japanese spots are small. But it's called Whoopi Goldberger. Shit's banging. And then like my my fifth rotates. It fluctuates, you know, wherever I'm at, you know. But I mean, but so there's a there's a there's a couple joints in Amsterdam, though, Um, like the butcher and uh, like um yeah, there's this joints. I'm just there's this joints. This joints. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I need to start like get my passport stamped. I had to get actually get get it renewed because like yeah, you need to do that because you get, might need to ju- dip out of America real quick with yeah. the state of shit going on. Yeah, like catch my black ass in South Africa, especially after seeing like Black Panther. I'm like, I need to pay Africa a visit. Yeah, right. Yeah, I gotta see this man. You know what I'm saying? And like, not the the Africans y'all see on these like. Damn, save the children commercials. I mean, it's nah, like, like this beautiful, yeah. Yes, it's out there, man. Have you, have you been there recently? No, um, that's actually that's on my list to do. There yes. in Australia. Oh man, 
But Australia, Australia is one of the places though. Like I gotta be up for that flight. That's a long flight. Like Australia is the furthest place you can go before you drop off the face of the earth. Right. So that's a long flight. So yeah, I'm not. I have to be mentally prepared to do that flight. So yeah, that's my two places. Awesome, man. Yo, I look. I live vicariously through you and your journeys and your uh, your travels, and I'm. Real like of all the DJs, not just because you're my homie, but you're one of my favorite DJs, man. Because like, yo, you you are true about your craft, you're true about your passion, and you you do what makes you happy. Yeah, that's but see, that's what it's about. Like, I I do what I love, I do what keeps me young, and I'm not really trying to impress nobody. I'm just doing my shit. I'm just rocking parties because that's what I was like. Honestly, that's what I was born to do. Right. I was born to rock parties. You know, and that's what I'm here doing. You do it very well. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to fit in with with people. I'm just doing what I do. Mm-hmm. You know. That's true. Yo, I got to give a shout out to King Brit too. Let it. I got to give a shout out to King Brit. Because <laughs> on the show soon, man. But yeah, because that's the homie. King is the homie. King yes, is, is King is one of the earliest dudes. Like when I was going to Houston Hall to go to house parties, King Brit was DJing them joints back in the late '80s. Y'all don't even know. About Houston Hall. Houston Hall was the spot. That's on Penn Campus. That was the spot. King Britt was there. Like, that was the spot. Now, Houston Hall is like, I think they had some, some, some events there. Yeah, but, but it ain't it, the same. Ain't like, it ain't like what it used to be. Right. Houston Hall was it. You know, like I used to, after 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 school, high school, I used to catch the trolley from Bartram. And when King Britt was working at Tower Records, he was the, tower buy, he was the, t- the record buyer for Tower on, on South Street. All right, now that you mentioned that, mm-hmm. let me tell you a quick story. So, um, my uh, my dad listened to a lot of like he listened to hip hop mm-hmm. and some jazz records, but he was really into like trance, electronic house records, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And where would he go all the time? HMV, mm-hmm. right? HMV was a record store in Philly. Um, I feel like it's right where um, Banana Republic used to be. Is that right now? Yeah. On yep. 15th, on, on, not 15th, on Broad and Walnut. Yep, that's right. where it was at. Right, right there. But a lot of this time, he would go to Tower Records on South Street. Mm-hmm. He would go to one in Cherry Hill, too. Yeah, but the South Street one South Street was the one, one. It was the one. So he would go there, and he would get these records, these import records. Like mm-hmm. All the imports. imports. Yep. Like, Joints like by like uh, you know Vanessa Dau or like um, like Transatlantic you name you name joints he got them mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying he got these like Omar joints like you name it he he got it from there and so that's how I knew about it mm-hmm. or he would go to different like import spots in the city of Philadelphia right so that's that's how I knew about it so he go to tower all the time I would tag along with him sometimes. Because Tower Records back in the day on South Street had the ill magazine collection. Yep. Was it um it was downstairs? Yeah. Pop, pop section? Yeah, but do you remember when there was Tower Books on South Street? Yes. Tower Books down the street on the the, the next hundred block down. Because I had to get a book for my seventh grade class. Um, this is 97. I had to get what happened to Nancy and shit from um that mm-hmm. Tower Books. Yeah. So long story short, you know, I knew about who King Brent was mm-hmm. for years, you know. Been a fan of his music, but then 
my dad talked to me. He said, yeah, man, I see King Britt all the time on South, at, at, at Top Records. Mm-hmm. He would tell me what records to get. Yeah, King was the man. Yeah, and years later, I, I became friends with, with King, and I was like, I told him like this probably a month or two ago. I said, dude, I didn't realize it, but you were the reason why I became so interested in this different kinds of music because you put my dad on the stuff, right? And he would bring it home. I was like, look at this shit, and, yep. then, and we become friends with you later on. I'm like, this is what life's all about. Yep, you know. But yeah, man. Um, scheme. So, where can they find you? Instagram, all that. Instagram, Instagram. Hit me up, Scheme Richards. S K E M E Richards. Um, also, my website, nostalgiaking.com. Um, Twitter at Hot Peas and Butter. And you know, just follow me around the world. I just do what I do. You know. Yes, and let's not forget he mentioned the name. Let's not forget um, for those who may not know. The hot peas and butter parties in Philly were legendary. That yes, was, they were. Um, it was Scheme, and he would DJ with um, another legendary DJ in Philly, um, Cash Money. They would DJ um, certain on Sunday nights. Is that Silk? Silk, yep. Yep, Silk. And then we did Walnut Room for a little bit. And you did. Now, didn't you, did you do hot peas with other DJs, too? Well, all right, so the Philly ones was basically me and Cash, and we bring a guest in. Right. We did them in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. We did New York because we did it from we did it in Philly at the beginning, and then we just started doing New York because New York was just like the spot to do it at. Uh, we did and we did Seattle. We did Minneapolis. We did L.A. We did um, I did by myself Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, then we started doing Germany, um, Japan. Yeah, so we just been around. We just bounced and flipped it and did it multiple places. You know, killing it. That's what you gotta do. Killing it. Uh, yeah, man. So before I get out of here, I wanna say thank you for coming by and the guests. I know it's probably annoying the fuck out of you, man. Like Nah, know, nah, you know, it's it's, it's it's gotta get done. You know, it's like schedules be all jacked up, man. And I'll be like, I'm getting old. I'll be trying to be in bed by eleven, you know. But uh, you know, it's just it's it's all good. Like, you know, we cause when you think about it. Ten years ago, it was a different era. Five years ago, it was a different era because I felt like we was running New York nonstop. Mm-hmm. You know, like 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 we ain't had jobs enough. You know what I'm saying? Like it was like a different world. Yeah. Now I feel like that cats got responsibilities. Cats got to be going to work. Cats, you know, it's yeah. just it's just weird. Like even with Lance, I'll be looking. I'm like, damn, me and Lance used to run and run and run. Like me and Lance don't run no more. Like right. it's it's just like you know everybody working, everybody hustling. So. It's kind of it's kind of weird. I actually wish I could rewind time back and be like, "Yo, nobody's ever getting a job. We working, we party, and we just wilding out." Snapping That's what we gonna do. Right. Snapping photos like that was a good era. That was, was a good man. era. I the last joints I did for you, that I, I love to do was um, it was the James Brown joint at Le Poison Rouge. Yeah. And, um, and Manhattan, Poison Rouge was the shit. That was man. the shit, man. See, once again, that was a different era because that couldn't happen now. Couldn't. And that was only like seven, eight years ago, something like that. Like that can't happen now. It can't. And those who don't know, Lance um, is uh, dope, man. He is um, a dope graphic designer up in New York. Crazy joints, like shit, shit he did for you for that absolute, um, absolute Brooklyn. Brooklyn joint. Oh man, yeah. The whole, the, the whole campaign was ridiculous. Bananas, like that was at the Walnut Room. That was bananas. Dude. Yeah. But um. I'll tell you one thing before we go. One more memory that I got because of this dude, his party. 
at the Poison Rouge for the James Brown joint. That was a that was the first time. Like I was, I don't know what happened. I met these two uh, <laughs> these twins, yeah, twin sisters. <laughs> oh my god! And I'm like with these twin sisters, and they were uh, I think they're Filipino, right? I'm I'm mentioning the ethnicity so you guys can get a visual of this shit. And I don't know how it happened. Whatever, I wasn't even drunk. I don't know. Like I wound up making out with one of the sisters, right? With the other sister, sister holding my, hugging me from, from the back. Right. It was a magical moment that has not not happened since. But damn it, I got photo evidence of it. Shout out to Scheme Riches for that. Shout out to that party. That was a dope night. That was a dope night. And like, who's? And Lance was like, "Yo, man, we should go go with them." And somebody was, I think I don't know who was it. Mike, no, don't do that. Don't 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 follow them. No, don't, don't don't pursue that. And I'm like, why? Why? <laughs> I'm like, I know my, I forgot my gig because I don't have a ride to go home. That's how I'm not going to do that. So, yeah, that's how that went, man. But, yeah, shout out to my man, Skin Richards. Thank you for coming by. No doubt. No doubt. Thank you for having me. Yo, man. Long overdue. For sure. 1984 Fly Dial Podcast. It's a wrap, baby. Catch you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.